Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Um, well, we are in the third part of a series we're tracking through this fall um, that we've just called Created to Create. And this is a series I've wanted to do for a while, but we needed a stage. This was just not going to work at the movie theater. Um, There were some things we just needed. We needed to be able to control some lighting. There were some things we needed to be able to do. And uh, so we're finally, finally, finally getting to do it. And I'm very excited about it. And so if you've got your YouVersion app, you've got your bulletin, and we handed you on the way in, this is where you begin to engage with that. And we have simply have kicked off every week with this thought. And this is the central thought for this created to create. Is that in God's hands, we are, we are both a work of art and an artist at work. We're both. That's, my goodness, how amazing is it that God wants to work in our lives, that he wants to transform us and renew us. And my goodness, that is, that's mind-blowing. That God wants to be active in our lives and that we can be his masterpiece. And sometimes we look at our lives and we're like, God, this, this just doesn't even hardly fit. This just doesn't even hardly work. How can I be any kind of masterpiece? And, and we have to recognize and, and not judge ourselves while God is still in process. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. I don't judge others. I don't even judge myself. I let God make the decision. I let the Holy Spirit make the guidance. I'm just, I'm his kid. I'm his child. I'm his minister. And we're just moving forward together. And so, so many times we can be honestly unreasonably hard on ourselves in this process and, and, and not see ourselves as a work of art. But then if you've been in church for a while, this kind of gets pounded into you that God's at work in your life and you begin to embrace that and sometimes you can forget the second part of it. But you're also an artist at work. And whether you recognize it or not, you are an artist at work. You're either a purposeful artist at work or you are an accidental artist at work. But you are one, you are creating. In your relationships, your mouth is at work. And it's either building people up and making, making those relationships better and stronger or it's tearing them down or it's building up and tearing down and building up and tearing down and creating chaos. It's at work. What you choose to do with your time, what you choose to do with your resources, how you choose to engage with people, your attitude every day is either helping move things forward or it is hindering things. You are an artist at work. So what we need to do is begin to recognize that, recognize we can't opt out of it. It's happening, we can't opt out of it. And so we need to then gauge on purpose. We need to then get fully connected in this. And we've been looking at Ephesians chapter two, uh, verses eight through 10. And in our school of ministry, our in-house school of ministry, we break it up into trimesters. And our first trimester has three classes in it. And so and in those three classes, they all revolve around this passage of scripture. It's grace, faith, and principles of ministry. And so in each one of those launches out of this passage of scripture, in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so no one can boast. And let's pause right there. Are we so thankful that it is God's gift to us that it's God's gift to us, salvation, that we've been saved by grace. 
It's his gift to us, not our gift to him. So many times in every other religion, it's about trying to do something epic, trying to do something from God, for God. But this is, Christianity is God doing something amazing, God doing something awesome for us. That he was at work and he did it for us and we are the recipients of it. And so we are saved by grace through faith. We just believe it. We believe that he actually did it. For we are God's handiwork. He's, he's at work in us. He, he's doing things. Just like we have these people out here expressing created to create. And I love our little artist corner with our painters and people drawing and sculpting and people active out there. We've got somebody doing cups and, and make it, bringing personality and life to the outside of a Yeti. And then we've got, uh, got Scott Swinehart who was over there with his scroll saw cutting out and, and, and making art out of uh, chunks of wood. And, and there this, this, there, there are these Works of art, they're, they're this handiwork. They're doing this. They're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And sometimes we hear that grace is awesome. Sometimes we hear that truth. You know, we receive it by faith. And then we begin to understand that if God's at work in our lives, then he wants to be at work through our lives. And there's something he's prepared in advance for us to do now it's the advanced stuff that begins to creep us out a little bit. We think, oh my goodness, God's got some sort of expectation on me. And so I like the grace thing. I will believe it. But now if I say yes, well, then now there's all these expectations. And man, I, preacher, I've got enough expectations. I've got enough stress. My boss has expectations. My spouse has expectations. People have expectations. I am weighed down with expectations. Why do I need some new set of some divine expectation from some sort of cosmic God to now throw on my stress plate? I'm already popping enough pills to choke a horse. I've got, I, I, it's a, there's, I'm done. And here's the thing is God wants us, wants to work in and through us. This isn't saying yes, that God, I'm gonna meet all of your righteous requirements. I'm ready to do it. Salvation isn't saying, I'm ready to straighten up and do right, Lord. It's saying, I recognize he's at work in me, and I'm ready to let him have his way in me. I'm let him have his way in me. There's always been this tension between us and God, and it's to let him finally have his way. And so and as we begin to embrace that, then some of the scariness of the future begins to come off. So many times, man, I tell you what, whenever I came to Christ, it was the advance part that I was freaked out about. And you've heard, if you've been around the church for a while, you've heard my testimony. I was camped my senior year in high school. I ended up out on the baseball fields in Colorado in, in, in this, at this uh, college. And I'm screaming at God and I'm cussing at God, dropping the F-bomb at God, telling him, leave me alone. I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm done. And I'm bawling my eyes out, and I'm just crying to God, and the Holy Spirit is ministering to me, and I'm like, I'm not ready for this. I can't live up to this. And I had this idea of what it meant to have to walk into this, and finally, just the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me alone, and I couldn't cuss him away. I couldn't drive him away with my inappropriate behavior. I couldn't, with my inappropriate talk, the Holy Spirit just kept so tenderly saying, just trust me, just trust me, just trust me. And I was so afraid to trust him. I had the wrong idea. And finally, I break down and I was like, God, all right. All right, fine. But this is it. This is it. I'm not playing the games. I'm not doing the stuff. But sure, all right. If you want this, 
okay. And that was all he wanted. That was all he wanted. And God began to work. And I'm here to tell you, if you're just some judgmental Christian on the outside would peek out six months later, they'd have said that camp experience was worthless. They'd have said it. You'd have seen my life. You'd have seen what I was doing six months later, and you'd have said that was worthless. That was just another one of those camp moments. It was worthless, but it was not worthless. There was a place. There was a decision that was made deep on the inside of me that took hold. And I remember on one of my first drives to Angelo State, I'm going to pick up by myself, and it just hits me out of nowhere. And I begin to sing the most simple song, Jesus Loves Me. I'm weeping my eyes out as I'm coming up the highway from, from uh, Sterling City to Angelo, to Angelo State. And, and I'm like, okay, God. And God just begins to move me increment by increment. Increment by increment. It wasn't all at once. It's not. He just moves in us. He's, he's at work in me. I was, I, was, I was his handiwork. And I was uncomfortable with the future expectations. And, and it begins to, to creep us out a little bit. But we need to recognize. We need to recognize that he knows what he's getting into, folks. Yeah. He knows what he's getting into. And he's ready to, to be connected into your life. He's ready. He knows the messes. He knows the stuff you don't tell anybody else. And he still wants you. Yeah. He doesn't say that that's worthless. He doesn't say you're worthless. He doesn't say, I, I can't deal with this anymore. He wants you. And he wants to work in and through you. It begins to change everything. And we need to recognize that. Because so many times the, on the front side of it, the, the future begins to be so scary. We get loaded down with anxiety and all sorts of stuff. I love the quote from Mark Twain where he says that, I've lived through some terrible things in my life and some of which actually happened. And folks, that's the truth, man. There are so many of us, the anxiety about what might happen is 10 times worse than what actually happens. What actually happens. I tell you what, you give a shot to a four-year-old. The fit before the shot is 10 times worse than what actually happens with the shot. And I'm telling you, the anxiety is worse. It's worse. And if we'll learn to let go of that stuff and begin to step out and trust God, and instead of looking to the future and seeing all of the brokenness and the what ifs and, and all the negative stuff and begin to see a God of possibility, a God of power, a God who wants to get something done, then we can begin to invite him in to places we think are hopeless, and he begins to insert hope. At the place that we think that nothing can happen, he begins to do something. I'm telling you, it changes everything. But it's going to require this cool thing he's given us. And so many times we shy away from it because we all know this thing has got us into some sticky places. That this thing has messed us up. And a lot of people in church world shy away from it. But it's this thing God's given us is called imagination. It's called imagination. And God created us in his image. We're called to speak things that are not as though they were. Well, how can we speak something that's not as though it were if we didn't imagine it first? If we didn't see that there's an alternate possibility. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. Where there are these dual realities, we need to begin to choose the life reality over and over again and begin to imagine what's there. God has created us in his image to begin to see that and to see that at work. See, God has given us an imagination to help carry his image to the nations, to carry his image to the nations. And it's at work, folks. It's at work. 
Aren't you glad somebody imagined air conditioning? In West Texas, man, I'm telling you, it's a good thing. We're thankful. So many times we think that one thing, there's some amazing creativity, some amazing place of, of technology that has nothing to do with God, all of a sudden has this major implication. I remember when I first got into ministry in the late 90s and, and the, the fax machine was pretty much the, the a main piece of office equipment. Nobody even has a fax machine anymore. And, and um, we had a fax machine. Well, one of the cool things about a fax machine, it was revolutionary back in its day because there were so many closed communist countries that, that before the fall of communism, people were able to fax through pages and, and chunks of the scriptures into places you couldn't smuggle it, you couldn't carry it, any of that. And so here's this one little machine that somebody shoves a piece of paper in and it travels through these little wires and pops out of another machine as a piece of paper. It's crazy, you know, and everybody else used it for all sorts of things, moving documents, doing all sorts of things. But I'm telling you what, the gospel went into places it couldn't have gone. People got Bibles that, that couldn't have had Bibles because of the fax machine. And then all of a sudden we see that, the, that kind of thought be all over the place. You know what? People are freaked out, you know? Christians are freaked out because the internet has so much nasty stuff on it. Um, you know why, people, why the internet has nasty stuff on it? Because the unredeemed human has a nasty heart. The internet didn't put the nasty heart there. Read your Bible. There's some nasty, gross, messed up stuff happening in the Old Testament. But you know what the internet does allow? The internet allow somebody who is on the internet for some inappropriate, messed up, jacked up reason to come across the gospel. Piped right into where they live. They come across podcasts, they come across websites, they come across all sorts of different things. There it is. You know there are people who download our sermons all over the place. Periodically, we throw the graphic up. There'll be somebody on Tuesday, every Tuesday in Madrid, Spain, downloads our sermon. It's crazy. I have no idea. Hey, Madrid, we love you. Thanks for doing it. They're going to hear this on Tuesday. And so... <laughs> Email us, please. I want to know who you are. And so, but there's, it's in England. There's in, it's in Moscow. Multiple people in Moscow. There are people. Man, there are so many great podcasts. Why in the world are they on ours? I don't know. I couldn't even work a microphone in the first service. I don't know. And, and they're listening to the gospel coming out of San Angelo, Texas. Because of technology. Because of some creativity, because of some connectivity. I'm telling you, folks, it's this bigger. If you look at the church world, right now there's a church in Oklahoma City, it's considered the largest single congregation um, with, a, with a pastor. It's uh, uh, led by Craig Groeschel, a pastor's life church in Oklahoma City, and there's lots of different um, campuses and whatnot. And this past Easter, they had like 110,000 people show up in person to worship at Easter. It's the, they're the, considered the largest congregation in the United States. Now, there are lots bigger congregations outside the United States, folks. We don't have big churches in the U.S. They got big churches in lots of other places, but 100,000 is big. And um, anyways, and so he is leading this amazing church. He's a, he's a leader of leaders, doing some great things. It's amazing. Back in 2008, when Cutie and our family were traveling around and visiting, um, Craig Groeschel's 
uh, team gave us to go ahead to visit with a bunch of their people. And so we spent a couple of weeks at Life Church interviewing multiple different uh, department heads and just spending time learning from a very innovative church. And so uh, just a couple of cubicles down from Craig Groeschel's office was there's this guy named Terry Storch. And so he's still there with Life Church. And they had just rolled out six months earlier uh, this, this app um, to be able to help people to connect with the scriptures and to be able to do that. And, um, and so is anybody following our notes on Version right now? Does anybody have it on the phone? Hold your phone up if you're on Version right now. And so, awesome. We've got lots of folks to do it. It was that app. It was Version. Terry Storch is the one, the computer programmer, who came up with it. And if you look at it, it's a good-looking app. It's, if, you're, if you're a design person, it's, it's, it's simple, it's sleek, it's beautiful, it's easy to interact with. But it's got the Bible on there where it's able to have community and all these different things. When I interviewed Terry and I sat down with him and talked about it and talked about the things that they were doing digitally, which was some mind-blowing stuff that they were doing digitally, um, I had uh, asked him, you know, what's, what's your plans on this? And they're like, man, we hope to get 100,000 downloads. And so their church on a really big Sunday back then would run about 30,000. So they're like, you know, if we can get a bunch of our folks on and then some others to boot, you know, 100,000 downloads would be amazing. I was like, man, that, that would be cool. And so... Uh, um, that was uh, oh, a little over 10 years ago. Well, now, fast forward 10 years, this guy who's a couple of, of offices, a couple of cubicles down in the same building with the guy who's leading the biggest church in the United States, the guy down the hall's computer program app he created has been downloaded over 10 million times worldwide. 10 million times, folks. A computer programmer who was created to create is having a bigger impact than the guy who is sitting there who they work alongside one another. This other guy's reaching more people, more people. Our, our new website has an ability to put our notes and everything we use you version for. And they said, hey, do we want to migrate and just keep, keep everything in our site? And I was like, no, I do not. I want to continue to use you version. Why? Because I've tricked you to carry a Bible on you all the time. You have a Bible. If you've downloaded the YouVersion app, you have a Bible with you everywhere you go. And whether you ever read the Bible on it or not, I hope you do. But if you're sitting around in the office uh, at, uh, at appointment, you can look at your Facebook and you get bored with that and you're flipping through your apps and then oh, there's the Holy Bible. That's what the app looks like. And you're like, oh, maybe I'll read some of this. That's kind of what I'm hoping as a pastor, is you end up spending a little more time in the scriptures. And it was a guy, not this, not this minister, not this great orator. It was a computer programmer with an awesome idea, imagined a community, imagined an app, imagined this thing where people could connect and to do it. And it is reaching so many people. Folks, the, these ideas that are going to revolutionize the world are not in our pulpits. They're in our seats in our churches. Folks, you're the one that has them. The stuff that's going to make a difference in this community, you're the ones doing it. You're the ones that have it. I dare you. I dare you to look at community and say, how can I do this? How can I use my barbecue to, to reach more people for Christ? How, how can I use my whatever to reach more people for Christ? How can I do different things? And I'm telling you, you've got a way. God will show you. you he will help you to imagine the way. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 9, it says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man 
imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him. This is beautiful. This is amazing. It's more than we can even imagine. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. This stuff that's so big that only spirit of God can deposit in us, it blows our imagination away, but the Holy Spirit reveals them to us. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. See, your imagination is an image engine. It creates images. We could all sit here and we could together describe a certain building and we would for the most part come with a very similar building because we be, even though we've never seen it we could begin to put it together and imagine it's an it's an image engine and God knew that that we were created this way and this is why he put some parameters in this in De- Deuteronomy 5 verse 6 he says but I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. Don't make for yourself an image because then you'll end, up, you'll end up creating this thing and worshiping it. And he was talking about some sort of crafted cow or some sort of thing that they create an idol and do it. But this is still true to, to us today. There are so many people who get this image of what they want their life to be like. And if the, God doesn't fit well into that, they shove him out and they're now celebrating and worshiping this image more than God. All of a sudden it happens all the time. Some guy sacrifices everything for his business, for his career. Some, some woman begins to do the, the, the same thing. She has this idea to launch this business, to launch this thing, and begins to sacrifice everything on it. We begin to have an idea of what we want our, our kids to look like. And we begin to sacrifice everything on that, trying to make our kids into something we never were. We just want to be good parents, but we've created an imagination of this thing, and we begin to serve it over serving God. Say, we can't commit to this. We can't do these things because it doesn't fit in our schedule of chasing this around and this around and that around. I'm all for parents being engaged. I'm all for it. But we, the danger of creating an image and serving it over serving God is still so true. So we have to recognize. See, when seeing human, where humanity's thinking initially went wrong, It gives us insight in how to correct our thinking. So what we want to do is we want to go back to Genesis. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. And this is where um, humanity sins and and steps out of right relationship with God. Genesis chapter 3 verse 4 says, the the serpent is talking to Eve. And he says, but um, you will... uh, Not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. They've been naked the whole time, and then all of a sudden, an ability to imagine the improper use of the human form came in. Is there anything wrong with the naked human form? No. Is there the improper use of the naked human form? Absolutely. And all of a sudden, they're the only people on the planet, and just the imagination, just the understanding of that floods their minds, and shame immediately comes in, and they want to cover themselves. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
on a little further in verse 11, it says, and, and he said to them, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? It's like, where did this come from? Where, how did you realize this concept of nakedness? Where did this come from? Did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Now all of a sudden you have this awareness in there. Here's what happened though. But here in the place of perfection, they're in the Garden of Eden. They're perfected. They're perfect. Everything's good that they imagined that there was something not right. The serpent begins to come in and says, you know what? This is all really good. But you know, if you'll do this, you'll be like God. And all of a sudden, some place in the middle of perfection, they saw lack. He had no reason to want to be God. It wasn't like his stomach was empty. And he's like, man, if I was God, then I could, I could get some food and I could eat. He was fine. It wasn't like his wife Eve was sick or, or she was wanting to take care of Adam and saying, you know, if I was God, I, I could bring some healing because I would do that if I was God. There was no shortage. There was no nothing. They just thought in the middle of perfection, saw that there was lack. Well, now with us on the other side of this, knowing good and evil, born into knowing good and evil, you and I are here and we see around us not perfection. We see brokenness. We see ugly. We see mess. We see all sorts of stuff. And then you and I look at brokenness and can't imagine any good. Can't imagine anything good coming out of it. But I'm here today to tell you that when God begins to restore and redeem our imagination, we can begin to see God's hand at work where God can begin to take our brokenness, the stuff we would throw away, the stuff nobody wants, and see God sing and use that to sing of his amazing grace. What an amazing thing that out of stuff we would throw away, stuff we would say, there's just no good. How, how can anything that declares God's grace be at work in all of this brokenness and all of this mess and all the stuff that's just leftovers? How can it be? But I'm telling you, if we will allow God to begin to redeem our imagination, we begin to look at our own lives and its brokenness, and its mess, and all that, and begin to see some new possibility, something new and wonderful at work. See, a restored imagination helps us to live the life God desires us to live. This is it's a sanctified imagination. And this word sanctified, we don't use it a whole lot, but it just means set apart and free from the effects of sin. 
when we begin to take away all of that mess and begin to think not of the possibilities of brokenness, not of the possibilities of things going wrong, not of all of the sideways stuff, but we begin to insert a God who's big and awesome and active in our lives. We begin to look at our own lives and the lives of others and see that, man, God can bring something beautiful, something that declares his glory out of a sanctified imagination. We know that our imagination unchecked creates problems. Every murder started with a murderous imagination. That's why Jesus says it's not enough to not kill. He says you don't even, you can't even want to. You can't even want to kill. He redefined it. He redefined adultery. And he says it's not just the, 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 the two bodies coming together outside of the covenant union. Somebody going, skipping out outside of marriage says, no, if you even look lustfully at someone in your heart that's not your spouse, then it's already happened. Why? Because every adulterous affair began with adulterous imagination. Every place of, of, of sin and brokenness began with some place of imagination. But it's the same thing of, of truth, of God at work. We got to begin to see God. We got to begin to go forward. We tend to take the word imagination off of it and we begin to call it vision and we try to clean it up a little bit because we're so afraid of imagination because it's carried us to the wrong place. But folks, it's the same engine. It's just a, the vision is just a redeemed imagination engine. It's vision is our imagination in the hands of a loving God who changes things around. Proverbs 4, 23 says, above all, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And Paul gives uh, these um, encouragements. And I just want us, as we close, to just look at these lists of encouragements Paul gives. First, to the church in Corinth. He says, for we walk in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself Against what? Against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is what a restored, sanctified imagination does. Instead of taking some potential negative thing and running its negative consequence, why don't we insert a miraculous God? Do you know every miracle happened in the middle of a mess? Every miracle happened in the middle of a mess. But God was inserted and it went a new direction. We've got to begin to think that way. Then he writes to the church in Philippi. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Begin to get our brains going on those things and then our imagination begins to get the right kind of legs. Begins to go in that direction. Imagine, sanctified imagination gets us moving in the right direction, but get, you know what? Our God is even bigger than that. It's not just up to our human imaginations. We let God begin to kickstart us and go us in that direction, but then he writes to the church in Ephesus, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than, we, <clears throat> than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm telling you, 
God wants to begin to redeem the way we think. And if we're going to really embrace what we're created to create, it's going to begin to happen in our imagination. And God wants to do it to help carry his image to the nations. Our imaginations are to help carry his image to the nations. That's what he has called us to. So our next step is what? Imagine what God can do in and through your life. Begin to imagine. Begin to imagine what God could do. Begin to imagine what could happen if you just let him have full rule and full reign. I'm telling you, he can exceed that. Why? Because our bottom line is, is God can do more than we ever than we ever imagined. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.